part two, statistics. Starting with epidemiology. Epidemiology is the study of disease prevalence in population and it examines the effects of host factors such as age, gender, race, and immunity. Um, it also measures effects of biological issues and that's where they look into bacteria, viruses, funguses. Next, they look at the physical environment, such as sun exposure, industrial pollutants, radiation. And lastly, they look into lifestyle considerations, such as socioeconomic status, drug alcohol consumption, and diet. And they take all this information and they, they base it on the health of the population. So they collect all this data to describe normal biological processes so they can understand the natural history of the disease process and measure the distribution of a disease in a given population. They also measure this so that they can identify determinants of a disease. They test hypotheses for prevention and control of a disease through studies and planning and evaluation uh, healthcare services. So here are a list of some of the terms that might be on boards. Incidents, this is the number of new cases during a specific time. Prevalence, this is the total number of all cases of a disease in a given population at a given time. Next is endemic. Endemic is disease occurring regularly as a matter of course at a predictable rate in a specific location or population. An example of an endemic is hay fever during spring. An epidemic is an unexpectedly large number of cases of disease in a particular location or population or time that spreads rapidly. So an example of an epidemic would be a meningitis outbreak among senior dental hygiene students at UofL during the fall semester. That would be an epidemic. A pandemic is an outbreak that occurs over a wide geographical area. It's often worldwide. An example of pandemic would be a worldwide Ebola outbreak. A morbidity rate is a number of actual diseases divided by the number of possible diseases. Mortality rate is a number of actual deaths divided by the number of possible deaths. Next, we're going to get into research methods. We have descriptive studies and analytic studies. Descriptive studies is first. Okay, descriptive studies, also known as case studies. All subjects receive the treatment and there is no formal control group. It's designed to describe the extent of a disease or condition within a population and its relationship with other variables. Descriptive studies, aka case studies, determines who is getting the disease and where or when the disease is occurring. 
One type is a cross-sectional study. This provides a snapshot of the frequency and characteristics of a disease in a population at a particular time. Disease and exposure status are measured simultaneously in a given population, and it can be used to assess the prevalence of acute or chronic conditions in a population. However, cause and effect relationships are not certain since exposure and disease status are measured at the same time. That's all for descriptive studies. Analytical studies test hypotheses to establish cause. Hypothesis in research is a suggested explanation of a phenomenon. A null hypothesis, aka H0, is a hypothesis which the researcher tries to nullify, the preferred method, because it's easier to disprove a hypothesis than eliminate all potential contributing factors. An alternative hypothesis, aka H1, is an alternate way to explain the phenomenon. Examples, H0. Daily flossing does not lower interproximal caries rates. H1. Daily flossing decreases interproximal caries rates. So what they did here in the example is instead of getting rid of the hypothesis altogether, they just said uh, in their alternative hypothesis that the flossing rates decrease the interproximal caries rates. It doesn't get rid of them altogether. Okay, we have one, two, looks like just two types of analytic, analytic studies. We have experimental analytical studies and we have observational analytical studies. So we'll start with experimental. Experimental analytical studies require a pre-post test data. Double-blind study is most valid. This is carried out under controlled settings in a lab or clinic. Uses control groups and the treatment withheld. The treatment is withheld or a placebo is given. And the treatment groups receive the actual treatment. So you have two groups, a control and a treatment. The control group is given a placebo or nothing at all, where the treatment group actually receives the treatment that is being offered. Experimental blindness is used. The researcher is uninformed to prevent bias. We also have double blindness, which is where the, neither the researcher or subjects know who is receiving the treatment. This is the very best way to avoid bias. So, and that is blindness and double blindness in experimental analytical studies. Next is observational analytical studies. Number one, you have a cohort or prospective study. This is where a group of people are linked and observed over time. It follows a large group over a period of time 
to evaluate effects of variables on health. When ready, results are compared between the groups. Time-consuming and expensive, this study is. Results are preferred over case control studies because researchers are not looking back in time. So even though it's a little more expensive, they prefer it. A study subjects determine whether or not they receive the intervention. The researcher is not involved. If both study groups are observed simultaneously, the investigation is called a concurrent cohort study or prospective cohort study. But it's just labeled on here as a cohort or prospective study. So, okay, um, and that was number one, the cohort or prospective study. Number two is a case control retrospective study. And they just said that a case control is not as preferred because you have to look back in time. So case control retrospective study formed after some people have developed the outcomes. So the researchers are using existing records. Looking back, two groups of subjects, one with the condition, case, is in quotes, and another without, which is the control. Designed to look back in time for possible causative factors. If the researcher believes a risk factor exists at the same time as the condition, the study is considered a cross-sectional case control study. Number three, cross-sectional study. This is a descriptive study that measures disease and exposure status simultaneously. It gives a snapshot of the population. Because exposure and disease status are measured at the same time, the cause and effect relationships are not apparent. And number four is longitudinal study. This is observed over a long period of time. It refers to any study that is long-term. Know the difference between case control, cohort, and longitudinal studies, and the differences and steps involved between descriptive and analytical studies. Next, we're going to get into the research samples. Uh, it's representative portion of the population. A random sample is when every element in the population has an equal chance of being selected. It reduces the chance of bias. Names randomly picked from a phone book is an example. The next one is stratified sample. This is selecting an element according to certain subgroups accomplished by selecting a proportionate number of participants from each subgroup for the sample. Here's an example. This board review, four dental hygiene schools, one blonde student from each school. That's a stratified sample because you took random people from each subgroup. A systemic sample, this is every nth, every nth 
to participate. An example is count off by six, then form groups based on like numbers. Uh, we did that in school. I hated that. So whoever you're sitting by is not going to be in your group, which is probably your best friends. A judgment sample, which is someone familiar with the population, selects a sample. Uh, this has a high chance of bias. Your boss selects employees to be in one of four business meetings. So that's your example. Um, a convenient sample. You're gonna, your sample group is chosen based solely on convenience. An example is the first 10 people that come through the door today were asked to fill out a questionnaire. So this one may or, not, may or may not increase bias because 10 people from the same family could come in at one time. Okay, variables. A variable is what is being observed or measured. And I have a note that says boards like this question. Oh, I see. Dependent or independent variables. A dependent variable is the outcome of interest, the bottom line. It should change in response to some intervention. And here's your hint. The dependent variable depends on the independent variable, okay? The independent variable is the intervention. The independent variable is manipulated to produce a response to the dependent variable. And here we go. In, IN is in both independent and intervention. It's not independent. So no, independent is the intervention. But the dependent depends on the independent, which is the variable. Okay, next is biostatistics. Biostatistics allows data to be quantified, which is measured, represents the mathematics of collection, organization, and interpretation of numeric data. You have two types. You have descriptive and inferential. Uh, descriptive is used to describe, present, summarize, and organize numerical data. The frequency of distribution measures how often each score occurs. And group scores, cumulative scores, and group scores are the measures of this frequency of distribution. The measures of central tendency are defined as the average value of any distribution of data that best represents the middle, represents the graphed point of data in which distribution is balanced, which is all a little confusing. And then you have the mean, the median, and the mode. So these are kind of important. The mean is the average of all the scores and it's the most common measure. The median divides the distribution of scores into two equal parts. 50% of the scores above the median 
and 50% are below. So when it divides it into two equal parts, two equal parts, but one is above and one's below. Mode, and this says it's a board favorite, the most frequently occurring score within the data matrix. And it affects the skew of the graph. And that's mode. So mean is the average. Median divides it, 50 top, 50 bottom. And mode is the most frequently occurring score within the data matrix. Um, when data is plotted using a normal curve, which is also called a bell curve, the mean, median, and mode are equal. Everything is equally distributed. Um, dispersion describes how wide the scores are around a central point, the mean, median, and mode. The range is the difference between a high and low score. Standard deviation is the most commonly used method of dispersion in oral hygiene research, and it reflects the range within the data matrix. The bigger the range or standard deviation, the wider the distribution curve. It shows how much scores deviate from the mean. And skew, skew is when the curves are not uniform or symmetrical. So you have either a positive skew or a negative skew. A positive skew is when more scores fall in the lower range. A negative skew is when more scores fall in a higher range. So it's opposite. Positive skew, lower range. Negative skew, higher range. And last is the inferential statistics. It allows one to generalize findings from the sample study to a larger population. Some of the words uh, to know are validity. Validity is the degree that a study or procedure can be conclusive yet realistic. It does the test measure, uh, does the test measure what it claims to be measuring? How valid is it? Reliability is the extent of which the method of measurement consistently performs. So you have intra-examiner reliability and inter-examiner reliability. Intra is when consistent performance is done by the same evaluator. So you have one evaluator going into each section and being consistent with himself. Inter-examinator, uh, consistent performance by different examiners and this is increased by calibration so this is like our instructors going around and checking each of us to see if we got calculus off teeth before the or for the exam but before the exam they all got together and felt calculus to decide what do you what type of calculus do you think this is so they were all calibrated and that's inter inter-examiner reliability. And intra-examiner reliability is when it's consistent performance by the same evaluator. 
Now, the next one is sensitivity, the ability of a test to correctly identify the presence of a disease. So sensitivity and presence of disease. So you have the letters E in that is found in sensitivity and presence. Specificity, 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 specificity is the ability of a test to identify the absence of a disease. En is absent in specificity. I can't say the word. Um, correlation coefficient. This determines the strength of relationship between two variables. It shows probable cause and effect. It's given as a number between positive 1.0 and negative 1.0. The closer the correlation coefficient is to either positive 1.0 and negative 1.0, the stronger the correlation. Okay, so you have a positive and a negative correlation. This might be a little confusing. In a positive correlation, the x value increases, the y value increases. In a negative correlation, the x value increases, but the y value decreases. And then lastly, some of the tests that are used uh, for these measures are... Number one, you have a t-test that measures a measure used to test the hypothetical difference between two mean scores. Remember this because a t-test, t stands for two, two mean scores. Number two, you have ANOVA, A-N-O-V-A, analysis of variance, used when comparing the statistical difference between three or more mean scores. So remember this because there are more than three letters in ANOVA. Number three is p-value, which means probability value. Use when testing hypothesis refers to the probability that a condition or circumstance would happen just by chance without experimental intervention. A standard acceptability is one out of 20 or a p-value of 0.05 a p-value greater than 0.5 will negatively, negatively affect study results. And the last thing on here, I, it was not in the Chicago book, but it was in our class study guide. A PICO question. P-I-C-O. It helps to think through evidence. P is the problem or the patient. I is the intervention, C is the comparison, and O is the outcome. And that concludes statistics. Okay, so I'm just adding to the end of the statistics study guide um, just stuff from the secrets, the NBDAG secrets study guide book. And... There's just a few thing, things. I want to talk about the descriptive versus experimental studies. Descriptive studies are concerned with more 
the characteristics of a disease rather than trying to determine a cause for the disease. So you're just describing it. The incidence study describes the number of new cases of the disease within a specific time period. The prevalence study describes the total number of cases at a particular point in time or within a particular period of time. Descriptive studies are designed to increase understanding of a disease and to plan and evaluate healthcare studies that prevent or control the disease. Experimental studies are designed to establish a cause for the disease. The study usually involves manipulating independent variables, independent variables in one group while monitoring a control group. Comparisons are made to test a hypothesis that a particular particular agent alters the natural history of the disease being studied. The epidemiological epidemiology studies is analytical studies are descriptive studies designed to analyze the relationship between and among variables. Longitudinal studies can be descriptive or experimental. They provide observations over a long period of time. Prospective studies are longitudinal studies of subjects over time to determine if a condition develops. Retrospective studies are descriptive studies that investigate previously collected data. Developmental studies examine progression or development of a condition over a period of time using longitudinal approach. Developmental studies are further divided into cohort studies which follows one group over time to observe development of a condition. The case history compares a group with a disease to determine factors that relate to its occurrence. The cross-sectional studies observe a group at a point in time to determine occurrence of condition and relate this to other variables in the population. Internal validity describes how much change in independent variables influence the change in the dependent variables. External validity describes the degree to which results can be generalized to the community. Validity includes sensitivity. It tests positive of the condition. It tests positive if the condition is present. Specificity Specificity, specificity, it tests negative if the condition is absent, and predictive value identifies presence or absence of condition. I chopped that up. Let me go over it again. Internal validity describes how much the change in independent variables influenced the change in the dependent variables. External validity describes the degree to which results can be generalized to community. Validity includes sensitivity. It tests positive if the condition is present. Specificity. It tests negative if condition is absent. And predictive value identifies presence or absence of condition. The measure must be reliable, can be duplicated by same examiner or a different examiner. The sample size can be determined at random in stratified random manner. 
as a systematic sample or by convenience. Which is the least reliable type of sample? Groups should be assigned randomly without bias. The methods for measuring disease count, not useful, prevalence, incidence, or using indices are also important. An example is how a community dental health worker would use results from a research project in Sweden that studied the effect of diet on dental decay in humans. The hygienist first should examine the object of the research. Could the consumption of sugar cause dental decay in the patients in this particular practice? The subjects are comparable to the patients in the hygienist's practice, and the hypothesis is logical. Sugar turns to acid during the pre-digestion phase. If he or she sees a patient with rampant decay, the hygienist can ask specific questions regarding the patient's diet and recite results of the research regarding sugar in the diet. When he or she correlates the patient's diet with a high with the diet high in carbohydrates, especially refined carbohydrates, the hygienist can teach the patient that cleaning the teeth immediately after eating refined carbohydrates reduces the risk of decay. Another example is how the hygienist would use research results from a study by the local dental hygiene association of second grade children and their brushing and flossing habits and the prevalence of decay at the time of the study. The hygienist could examine results and discuss implementing a program in which individual dental hygiene volunteers arrange visits to local schools to present education information to the first and second grade students. The students would learn why they need to brush after every meal and brush and floss before bed. By including the first grade students, the student's awareness of the reason for both tooth decay is encouraged at a time when they are very impressionable and they want to be more independent. The students would learn how to brush efficiently and that flossing is a learned skill that they can accomplish. Children, like adults, like to learn and apply new skills. Frequent reinforcement of good oral hygiene skills results in fewer teeth loss from decay. And it goes on. And then there are sample scenarios, which we'll do those. Sample scenario one. Miss Jones, a member of her local dental hygiene association, has received has recently volunteered to provide preventative dental hygiene dental services under the supervision of her boss, Dr. Scott, for the residents in Garden Terrace Nursing Home. Prior to her first visit, Mrs. Jones and her assistant Mary set objectives for the dental health program at Garden Terrace. At her initial visit, Ms. Jones and Mary documented that 15 of the 50 patients assigned to her are indentulous. Three patients are missing only their third molars. 15 patients are missing six or less teeth, and the remaining 18 patients have more than six teeth missing. They also documented the number of decayed and filled teeth. Ms. Jones and her assistant 
performed and documented the results of a plaque index and PSR scores. They found that 90% of the 50 patients assigned to them had plaque index scores of 60% or more, and 75% of the patients had PSR scores greater than 2 in two or more quadrants. Ms. Jones and Mary then planned on how they could meet the needs of their patients within the parameters identified by the dental and hygiene associations. Which type of epidemiological study Ms. Jones and Mary conduct? A, analytical. B, descriptive. C, perspective. D, experimental. E, cross-sectional. The answer is B, descriptive. Ms. Jones and Mary conducted descriptive studies of the 50 geriatric patients assigned to them. This study is designed to describe the conditions present within the population. They also documented the health concerns of the assigned patients. The descriptions documented reveal information that follows Ms. Jones and Mary to formulate a plan to meet the needs of the population. They can present their assessment and plan for implementation to Dr. Scott for his approval before collecting resources. They can also report their findings to their hygiene association for comparison with the results of studies performed by other volunteer hygienists at Garden Terrace and other nursing homes. The combined reports of all the hygienists provide a picture of the general dental health of the elderly patients in the area nursing homes. So that's it for statistics but I just want to add in here the mandatory reporting for abuse in Kentucky and Indiana if you suspect or know anything about child abuse or neglect sexual abuse exploitation or prostitution where the victim is less than 16 years old and the perpetrator is 21 or older you have to report this. That is mandatory. Also, mandatory reporting of abuse, neglect, or exploitation remains for vulnerable adults. So, this is people who have a mental or physical dis- disorder and they're unable to manage their own resources. Um, you ha- That's mandatory as well. You have to report um, child abuse or neglect in any means and then also for people who have mental or physical conditions where they can't really take care of themselves but other than that there's no mandatory reporting for persons who are in long-term dating or married partners to protective services um for them you're required to give referral information and educational material to the patient who reports that they're stating or marital violence. And that's it. Like a husband and wife or a dating couple. In Indiana, there's no mandatory reporting for in, 
intimate partner violence unless the victim is an endangered adult. So, like, has mental issues. Mandatory reporting for known or suspected child abuse and or neglect. That's mandatory. 